The Start On Demand. On demand. Should there be such a thing as a dumb stuff amnesty? That's how Greg put it. What should the statute of limitations be for the stupid things we did in our past? That conversation was triggered after Justin Trudeau gave his first post-Brownface controversy interview to Global National's Donna Friesen. The Democrats launch an impeachment probe into Donald Trump. Why do we like watching high-profile people fall from grace? It's National Tree Day, and tomorrow there is a special event happening in St. Boniface for Thin Air, the Winnipeg International Writers' Festival, and Netflix has released the full trailer for the Breaking Bad movie El Camino. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, September 25th podcast for The Start. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and at 6.45, we're going to have a conversation about what is the statute of limitations on things we have done in the past, and this has to do with a conversation with Justin Trudeau and Global's Donna Friesen yesterday. Yeah, I just started thinking about this on my way in this morning. Do we have to create some sort of official statute of limitations for either public servants, politicians, or maybe just in our own world where we can bury the things from our past that we would like to forget, we would like to be forgiven for? How do we move on? You know, uh, so many religions, so much of the therapy that people pay thousands of dollars to be in talks about moving on from your past and and to forgive yourself for the things that you've done and to beg for the forgiveness of others. How do we do that? And I I think it's an important discussion potentially to have just in this era of what's been going on. And this is not, there's going to be people say, oh, you're just trying to let Justin Trudeau off the hook. This is not about Justin Trudeau. This is part of the discussion around his mistakes and bringing to light the fact that we all make mistakes And how long do we have to carry those around for? That's my question. Yeah, there were plenty of interesting moments in the extensive interview between Justin Trudeau and Global National anchor Donna Friesen. Trudeau managed to stay on his talking points through most of the exchange. At one point, Donna Friesen asked Trudeau three times if there are any other skeletons in his closet. Are there any other skeletons in the closet? Things that you've done in your past that you're not proud of, that you've disclosed to your staff? We've all made mistakes in the past, but my focus has been on, certainly uh, over the past years, on serving Canada to the best of my ability and making the kinds of decisions that have led Canada to do extremely well over these past four years, whether it's job creation or lifting people out of poverty or fighting against discrimination and tolerance. We, we see a time in the world where there is a lot of cynicism and skepticism around politics, around politicians, around their institutions and there are always going to be things people can point to to become more cynical and skeptical. My focus has been on trying to demonstrate that we can do things and we are doing things that make a real difference in people's lives. I asked you if there are any more skeletons in the closet that you've disclosed to your staff. I think we've all done things that we're unhappy with uh, and things that we learn from and I'm no different than anybody else. So there could be other things. I'm I'm no different than anyone. People know I'm not perfect, but people also know what I stand for. 
still felt less than open to me. Uh, don't judge me on my distant past. Just judge me on my recent past is what come out of that for me. Or the things you're just willing to talk about. I don't know. I, I this this whole line conversation is a fascinating one because I don't know. It might depend today that my line is here and you've gone too far and you've crossed the line. And then tomorrow I might be like, ah, it doesn't matter. That was six months ago. I've forgiven you for that. And it, I, I don't know where what what skeletons need to come out. What are they? What would they look like? Like I think that would be different for everybody. Yeah, I, uh, I we've talked about this before politicians, people wanting to run for public office with the scrutiny that they come under now. Yeah. Uh, just for example, if I were to run for public office, the first thing I would probably have to think of is, I guess I got to scroll through my Facebook timeline for the last 11 years or however long it's been out because I don't remember the stuff that I put out in 2010, 2011, buried somewhere on my Facebook, there might be something somebody might be offended by. So I'd have to go through it and make sure there's nothing there. And that's, and for me, just the, the tedium involved in that is just enough. Just that step. Just uh, that, uh, I'm, I don't, no interest. I'm out. For that reason, I'm yeah. out. But it's a bigger question about honesty. So if you're talking openly and honestly, like everyone, not everyone, but some believe Trudeau was over the past few years, and then this comes out, it's about being one person in the public and another person in private, and that becomes the problem for anyone's skeletons. You know, if you're going to be judgy about something, like, if, you know, you have that friend who's super judgy, and you're like, what? Like, I just saw you last week do that thing, and now you hate the city person for doing the exact same thing. It comes in the same conversation about, like, okay, well, we're we're, we're probably too quick to forgive ourselves as opposed to others. Yeah, and there's discussions you're going to have at your supper table with your spouse or your loved ones or or maybe in a different social circle where you, you feel that the cone of silence has been lowered and you, you're free to speak a certain way that you, if there was somebody recording those conversations, you'd be devastated. Your career might be over. Some of your personal relationships might be affected. And I think we've all done that. We've all been guilty of gossiping about someone that we, you know, we wouldn't say what we're saying behind their back to their face. We all do it. Mm-hmm. What's the line on that? And and that's sort of the, the my my proposal for the conversation yeah, at 645. It's about politics. It's about no. a, a personal Correct. struggle that we all go through. Yeah, I think, and, and I, I think that that's maybe been the most accurate thing Justin Trudeau has said, the most relatable thing he said in the last week or so in my mind is the fact that we all have things we regret. Yep. Okay, yeah. I can agree with you on that. But I'll put my hands up 20 times for sure. that, for sure. But I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around the way he is handling this mess. It, 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 it just doesn't feel very sincere to me. I'm sorry. So we'll get into that at 6.45. And then at 7.07, we're going to be joined by Global's Reggie Cicchini because the Democrats have launched an impeachment probe. And this one is um, had so many people yesterday, as soon as Nancy Pelosi came out and said, you know, we have to hold him to the higher standard. Donald Trump, you have to do better. Everyone's like, whoa, here we go. This word that we've been throwing around for three and a half years, impeachment is finally here. Uh, But based on what's happening in Washington, this could just turn out to be a huge flop again. Another attempt to go after the president that might fail, which could hurt them even further. And more than that, you know, uh, impeachment's been, I mean, I've been listening about impeachment since the Bill Clinton era and the whole process that that went through in the 90s. And the fact at the end of the day is that what I read this morning is you could even be found guilty 
the Senate could find you guilty of impeachment and you still get to go on and have your job. So what is it all about? Yeah, uh, what is it all about? And that's what Nancy Pelosi's been apparently wrestling with all these months. And for her to go all in yesterday versus waiting to see the transcript of this phone call that is the source of this whistleblower's uh, report. And uh, I don't know. I just, I'm concerned for... Uh, democracy, that this is going to be another nothing burger, and then... <laughs> a nothing burger. A nothing right. burger. <laughs> and then you don't want to eat the next one. Correct. You don't want to look know. at it on the menu. Correct. You tried to give me this before. I'm not interested. I've seen this. Yeah, it tastes Thank terrible. You, no. no, let's get a <laughs> Beyond Me burger. I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, hot dog instead. <laughs> It's interesting that McNabb made the transition from impeachment to television because there is something very exciting. Greg, you also mentioned we're waiting, we're waiting. Well, I'm waiting. And I assume if you've watched Breaking Bad, you're waiting for Mm -hmm. October 11th. That is when the Breaking Bad movie El Camino debuts on Netflix. And yesterday, Netflix, just like a day, I guess it was Sunday, they they released a 60-second trailer for El Camino during the Emmys. Well, yesterday they released the first full trailer for the movie, and it includes a whole bunch of dialogue. Just listen to everything they had to say. You ready? Yeah. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Oh, I am ready, actually. Who, Who was talking there? So that was Jesse Pinkman's voice who said, yeah. But we don't. We didn't see the person who said, "Are you ready?" Oh, sounded like it could maybe have been Walter White, but I don't know. Is Walter White still alive? Like, what's the deal there? Well, well th- that's the thing. The speculation is that th- that he is in the movie, but we don't know if he's still alive or if he appears in dream sequences or flashbacks or because memories. It ended with him. We assumed he was dead, lying on the ground, mm-hmm. and Jesse Pinkman driving away. That's right. And El Camino picks up right after that. He's essentially on the run because... In an El Camino? I believe so, yeah. <laughs> I would <have> said... <laughs> sort of Just an arbitrary title for the film. There's zero El Caminos in the whole thing. And yeah. what's the deal with the El Camino anyway? <laughs> because when it came out, and I knew a couple of guys with El Caminos, and it was just... This is a classic at, derail right now. At the time, <laughs> at the time, it was like... Is it a truck? Is it a car? What, a are, what are you car. trying to prove here? Now I'd do anything for one. It's really? Great, it's yes. a great car for Jesse Pinkman, and it, and he's the kind of he's like a criminal in an El Camino, which was an ugly car back in the day. And, Not then now. Be, and now you'd be like, sweet ride, man. <laughs> I'll jump in. What are you selling, meth? Huh. Got, okay, got some that blue candy in that car. <laughs> that blue magic. <laughs> So yeah, he uh, he is on the run. Cops are looking for him. He's considered a person of interest, maybe even a suspect, which hmm. is so sad because he went through so much. For those who remember Breaking Bad, he went through all that torture. He was in captivity for God knows how long. So I am excited to see this. Aaron Paul is such a gifted actor, and just you can see the pain in his face. So Still October a meth 11th, dealer, though, right? Well, we don't know what he's doing at well, this point. Well, hopefully he's made a turn or something. Well, no, no, but he was, like he was, yes, right? He was. So, yeah, the, you he, know. he was a criminal too, but he was like, a, you you learned to, you liked him a lot more than you liked, um, what's Walter, his name? Walter I, White. Walter White, Heisenberg. And I think there's a lot of people out there who like, it's the same way when you read a novel or you watch a movie, You sometimes you want more. You want to know that they were okay in life. You want to know that Jesse Pinkman drove away and suddenly had this fantastic life and turned his his whole uh, situation around or part of you doesn't want to know. Yeah. So what if it doesn't go the way 
you had hoped it would go. Well, and that's the thing. I, I was skeptical when they announced they were doing this because I thought the way they ended that, that series was perfect. Yeah. But the creators of this show, Vince Gilligan in particular, he would not do this if it was not good. He's one of the first guys who said, you know what, AMC, I need another year to get this right uh, because we're, we, we want to make sure that it's perfect. Mm-hmm. So he has no problem taking as long as he needs to make sure that it's good. He's not just going to do it for a cash grab. No, None of these people would get involved if it wasn't going to be good. So October 11th. A lot of those guys, too, I don't want to speak for him, actually, but if you're a writer or you're a screenplay writer, you, you have an ending already in your head and you might have had it sitting there for 10 years and you just didn't execute on it, right? It's better when it's like lived in you as opposed to just someone coming to you and said, be really good for studio and for money if you just came up with another part two. You know, that would be great for us. And I don't know if that's the case here. Can you hammer it out? Yeah. When right? did they go into production on this? Oh, I think it was earlier this year or last year because it, it was kind of a mystery. And then out of nowhere, they said, oh, it's it's been shot. It's done. Mm-hmm. Well, because my dad was living in Arizona in the winters and, and uh, he had had different information given to him. They're shooting something for... Breaking Bad, some sort of sequel. That's right. You know, yeah, and that was slightly, that. and that was a couple of years ago. That's so right. who knows? Ross Mackling, ET correspondent in Arizona. So that is out on October 11th on Netflix. Just also want to quickly mention, uh, if you want the full fall TV calendar, just go to the 680CJOB Instagram. We've linked it there because this week has been a big one with all the new and returning shows. And tonight in particular, there are two shows on Global that I want to remind you of. <laughs> Survivor season 39. <laughs> 39. I'm only laughing this music. It's so fascinating that they've really stuck with a lot of like the similar themes throughout. Yeah, this music gives me chills, goosebumps. I love Survivor, and tonight it's the Island of the Idols. That's the gimmick this year. Not entirely sure what that's going to mean, but I'm excited for that. Boston oh, Rob, Rob. Boston Rob's coming back, and, right? And uh, Sandra, who is a right. multi-winner of Survivor. And the final season of this. Modern Family, the 11th and final season. Yeah, it's time. Yeah. Reviews tonight on Global. It's I love time. this show and I still will watch it, but we were talking this morning about those moments in life where you make, you think, you know, you want to go out before you're already on the downward side of mm-hmm. the curve. And I would argue that they peaked a few years ago and the last few years have just been throwaway scripts. Yeah. So those are tonight. Full TV calendar on the 680 CJOB Instagram. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Braun is here, Kelly Moore is here, Jeff Forte, Greg, let her rip. Yeah, Global's Donna Friesen in her conversation with uh, Justin Trudeau uh, pointed out that others have been fired over incidents like the picture and video of him in brown-faced and black-faced and body too, by the way. Friesen asks... Uh, when Trudeau stopped the racist dress. When did you stop thinking that darkening your skin was acceptable? Was it something, did someone tell you, hey, you know, this is crazy. You're, you're covering not only your face, your throat, your hands, I think in the video, even your legs. Did someone say to you, Justin, you got to give this up? As, as I've spoken about, I uh, represent one of the most diverse multicultural writings in the country and the work I've done uh, in you know the late uh, 20 well 2008 2009 to be a better representative a good representative for people by spending time in mosques and gurdwaras and with the Haitian community and all the diverse communities in my writing and fighting for them let me to understand to a much greater degree the kind of discrimination and uh, 
intolerance that people face on a daily basis because of the color of their skin and that's uh, where, why I understand now, which I should have understood then, that it is always unacceptable. So I'm looking for a dumb stuff amnesty. That's not what I called it in my head, but for radio, that's, uh, that's, that's what I, I, I'm going to call it. We have these gun amnesties where you can bring in your gun without any uh, rep reparations. You just bring it in and no questions asked. We just want to get them off the street. Sometimes they do toys for gun drives in the United States. Is it time for a line in the sand? That's my question. An opportunity to wipe the slate clean of our digital demons, our societal missteps, or non-criminal adventures. I'm not trying to let anybody off the hook, but is, how, do, how do we create this statute of limitations for dumb stuff we did in the past? How do we move on? Kelly Moore, you have the longest uh, past in this room, so... Well, I just thank God there was Tell no social media. Tell us all your skeletons. Media. Yeah. Now. <laughs> I just, do we need a shovel or do we need a forklift? Uh, backhoe, probably. Backhoe, yeah. 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 No, I, I'm just glad there wasn't social media around when I was a, a kid or a teenager. Although, I don't really remember saying a lot of things that I would regret later. Like, I, I've been in radio since I was 18 years old. And mm -hmm. right from the night, uh, the day you crack a mic, I mean, you have to be very accountable for everything you say. Um, but I, it's just, it's not something I, I, I even, uh, later in life when I've gone on social media, I always, if I've got written something out in a, in a fit of anger, I've walked away from the computer for a second. I thought, okay, and then <laughs> erase. You know, and, and so I don't think, I guess, you know, there'd be people out there that would find something, but I don't think I'd have anything uh, uh, in any past posts that I would uh, have to worry about if that was going to factor into anything I was going to do for the rest of my life. But what about letting other people move on? Do you have oh. a thought on that? Like, how, how, you know. Well, <laughs> I'm going to get in a, a lot of trouble for this, uh -oh. but I think this is... Backspace, uh, backspace, 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 yeah, backspace, backspace, backspace. <laughs> well, you, but you asked me the question. Yeah. You asked me the Go question. For it. Do I think it's dumb? Yeah. Do I think it should cost a personal an election? Absolutely not. I am, I'm far more disappointed in Justin Trudeau and Andrew Shear last week in his conversation with Julie. When you get asked a question, for God's sakes, just answer it. Don't stick handle around and don't give me this mambo pambo grambo. Just <laughs> mambo you know, pambo grambo. What fair, a, garbage then, okay? Don't give me this garbage. <laughs> like, talk to me like a real person. I I have absolutely zero use for politicians who cannot answer a question like a real person. The question was at any point, did you think you had crossed a line, basically? That's what she was asking him. Yeah. And he went on to say he works in a diverse community and was yeah. an MP like, for a diverse... Just say yes, you know? Yeah, yeah. or, or, or no yourself. one had, and, and I wish they had. Or, yeah. you know, but I, I don't know. Haven't you ever heard something about someone, Jeff Braun, and it's changed the way you thought about them, even if it was a 20-year-old controversy? Sometimes. I Generally, I, I try to go about it as, you know, of putting it in the context of the time and place that... Whatever happened, happened. And if it's like, oh, you said that in 1972, I mean, it's not a great thing to have said, but the times were different then. So yeah. you sort of got to – I try to grade it on a curve like that. Hmm. You also got to take a person's age into account. You know, we say a lot of dumb things when sure. we're young. We're not thinking about that. And as well, look at how grave it was, like when it comes to – Someone like Kevin Spacey, who's yeah. come under fire for his past transgressions, that's because he did some 
allegedly disgusting things, right? Criminal, but, but yeah, right. criminal right. Yeah, there's so. a difference there. But there's a you, line there. But if you send an email to your buddy that happens to have some really filthy and awful language, uh, which I have done, and if those emails <gasps> from 20 years ago were to surface, I would be very embarrassed, to say the least. But... That was 20 years ago. Like, mm-hmm. uh, what, you should be able to look at someone and say, okay. That, and it was that a private yeah. conversation. Yeah. With grandparents as well, because a lot of us have grandparents that don't like German people, and it's because German people shot and killed their brothers and stuff like that. So it, you just got to put it in real context. Of, yeah, mm-hmm. d- depending on what exactly was said and how was it said, I guess, would make that line of, what is it appropriate and that timeline? So could we create a formula? How long ago was it? How old were you at the time? And then grade the transgression between one and ten. Could we not come up with a magic and, formula? And then boom, it comes out as an algorithm. You go, you are forgiven. Yeah, and, and move add, on. And add also, Greg, in there, what was socially acceptable at the time? Sure. Because I can tell you, as a kid growing up in the 60s and 70s, the, the conversations around the dinner table Holy smokes, the the uproar and the furor that they would create now would be out of this world. And you've lived and, and learned from that, right? And, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I'm glad we don't have those kind of conversations anymore. But back then, it wasn't considered to be anything out of the norm. Greg Mackling, right now we have a city councillor in studio with us who... Brought donuts, and I'm very thankful. Yeah, not going to change our line of questioning, though. Uh, Kevin <laughs> Klein joining us. And earlier this year, the Lake Winnipeg Foundation, accompanied by the International Institute for Sustainable Development, presented what could be framed as an interim phosphorus reduction plan to the city of Winnipeg. The city, in the meantime, continues to work towards a $1 billion upgrade to the North End Sewage Treatment Plant. Kevin Klein, councillor, is working with fellow city councillors, Sean Nason and Jason Schreier, to encourage the city to revisit this short-term fix. Kevin, what is this fix, and and why was it turned down originally? Well, uh, first of all, the fix is uh, one of eight, I believe, that the city uh, hired a consultant to review. And this is one that the uh, IISD is uh, supporting and saying it's the most efficient, most uh, cost-effective, and it can uh, reduce our levels uh, substantially in a very short period of time. Six to nine months, the construction can be done and our levels could be down to one milligram per liter for phosphorus. Versus what is it now? Is it is it over three? Yeah, it's 3.4. Um, and, and, you know, the, the problem is, is that, uh, you know, when we had the meeting and I asked the executive team about uh, the phosphorus plan and about the IISD proposal, because it came out in July, they sent it to all publisher or publishers. Old, old school now, right? Going back in time. But all counselors a, a long time ago. And, and no one brought it up. So I, I started speaking about it. They said, well, we looked at it, but it doesn't work. But it does, according to the scientists. Well, here's an interesting fact. Yes, it does, according to the scientists. And it does, according to the consultant that the city of Winnipeg hired. So the report that we sent to the province, uh, the consultant actually says uh, the, this alternative uh, is considered relatively robust. Um, and that will only add 7.5% uh, of sludge. So it, and this consultant says we can handle that. Minimal additional space requirements. So is it, Quote, just, is, it just, is it just doing something more of what we're already doing? Is there construction? What, what, what is the proposal and, and what does it look like in terms of uh, resources? 
So I have I have an overview of the details. So it, it will require a little bit of construction. We have single source uh, for our pollution, so it's a tap you can turn on or turn off. They're saying where we put in a certain chemical right now, we'd have to move the position of that where we enter that chemical. So it would require some piping changes and a little more of this chemical, which is fine to go in the water. Um, it's not nitrogen. It's uh, I, I wish I could pronounce it. Um, but once they do that, they'll have to move some piping around, and that will reduce the phosphorus. It will increase the sludge, but only by 7.5%, but it will reduce it, uh, they believe, to one uh, milligram per liter or lower. Most jurisdictions in Canada, just so you know, are below one milligram per liter. Um, And the reasoning and the excuse I got, which I find very disappointing, is that we are just 5% of the pollution going into Lake Winnipeg. To me, that's unacceptable. It's kind of like the statement we've been talking about with climate change, that we're a small part of the problem, so the bigger players need to do something as opposed to the little guys. But the little guys could play a role right now. Bingo. And I think it's a common theme. I'm starting to feel it. It's a common theme throughout our government right now, is that we do not take responsibility. We are very good at finding a reason that somebody else is at fault for what we haven't done or what we're not doing. For years, the Finance Committee, uh, you know, Councillor Gillingham is the chair, and the, the mayor at EPC put a budget together, and we take millions, tens of millions of dollars a year from water and waste, and we move it to general revenues. So we knew the construction was going to be needed. We knew, apparently in 2011, we had a problem with phosphorus we had to take care of. So imagine if we had put aside $10 million a year, we could fix this problem and have money left over. So we're not, we're not being strategic about our thinking. We're not thinking ahead. I think we're, we're thinking in election cycles, and we're not thinking how we should, which is in the future. But we're telling everybody everything's fine. And, and, and I'm always, I've got this quote in my binder all the time from Bill Murray uh, that says, so if we lie to the government, it's a felony. But if the government lies to us, it's politics. So this is an issue about wastewater going into Lake Winnipeg. It gets treated by the city of Winnipeg. But because, in your opinion, we, we aren't following what could be done, according to this consultant report, we're, we're only adding to the problem and asking the province for more time. Right. So we're, we're asking for a delay instead of doing something that could be fixable, treatable, doable right now. Do you think there's a bigger issue there about when it comes to our water period? I often think we talk a lot about roads. We talk a lot about the surface things that we see, but we flush our toilets. We flush things down the drain. We do all sorts of things and we just think, meh. I don't know where that goes, but you know, I'm sure not, we're not, taking care not of it. Really, my problem right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I do. I mean, and I know we've done some upgrades to one of our sewage treatment plants, and we are planning upgrades to the North End sewage treatment plant. I think we've taken too long. I think it's become, you know, one of those things because of what you both just said. Ah, I'm sure it's taken care of. No one talks about it. It's not a big political item. But think about the impact that that could have in our city if we didn't act. What if it failed tomorrow? And we have, we're at like a $150 million debt ceiling. We're in big trouble. City of Winnipeg will be in big trouble. So we're not, we're not being open and transparent or collaborative with anybody. On We are just simply putting up a smoke screen and saying, if the province gives us money and the federal government gives us money, we'll, we'll be able to get it done. But you could have got it done a while. You could have started a while ago. Isn't there a bigger question here about we, we hire consultants. We hear this all the time. We've asked the consultants to look into this for us, come back with a solution and then we get the solution, according to this report. And again, we're, we're reaching out to the city to get their comment on what they have to say about what was done or wasn't done with this report. But we, we hire someone to tell us what to do, and then we just don't do it. Yeah. And how often are we hiring, spending tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes I, I on consultant reports? I would think go reports? higher. <laughs> I think we probably spend in the millions on consultants. I mean, we do studies 
all the time. Every time I turn around, and we're doing important. a study. You have to study it. You have to have a reason why and, and documents to support why you do it. But then when you do right. it and you don't follow through on it, are we wasting our money as well? I, I think we are because that's that's the key for me is that we're not sharing the uh, supportive data. We're not showing the evidence. This, you have to go through the entire report. They give it kind of, uh, you receive it that day, but you need to read through it. You want to appreciate and respect what the city is telling you, but our job uh, is to do due diligence. We are the uh, stewards of the city and of the city's money and of, of the future. Um, if we don't take the time to go through this, far too often, I'll, I'll send out an email asking a question. This is a true story. I will get an email back saying, you know, you've only been a counselor for nine months. You should just let stuff go for two years. That's how things work at City Hall. Yeah. Just just let it go. And you have to trust these guys for what they're doing. And I thought, you know, when I was at work, uh, I couldn't just go into my boss and say, hey, listen, you know what? Trust me. I got this. I got this taken care <laughs> of. Can we talk about, about this about in a few months? Yeah. 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 Or, or if we came back and said, uh, you know, your report's due today. Yeah. Yeah. I, I need like another year. I know it's been four, but just one more. Uh, and that's what we do every single day. And to your point, that's Lorraine, I think that that's money wasted. It's not well spent. If you're going to hire a consultant, this is what I would like to see. I would like the consultant to appear before everybody at council and share all the details. Everything. The worst part about this is that the IISD met with the uh, water and waste people uh, last week, they told me, and they asked uh, the water and waste people, did you at least test some of these options? And the response was, no, we've been writing the report. Okay. Well, this is frustrating. Good on you for you. reopening the conversation, Kevin. We wanted to give you an opportunity to, to, to let the public know what you're up to, and we'll look forward to an update uh, on Thursday. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Global News looked into the work many school counselors in this country are doing, the number of students they have, the hours they might have to drive to provide help, and the resources that play to help them do their jobs. But it's not just a question about the supports that are there for the people who are supporting our kids. There's also a question about what they're asked to do. So this job, I think we can all know, is no longer just about guidance on which courses to take or which colleges to apply for. It's become so much more in this age when we're all super aware of mental health issues, uh, poverty, food, kids might be coming to school with. And so they've got a lot on their plate. Alice McGregor is a counselor at West Kildonan Collegiate and joins us now to discuss how her job has changed and what's being done over the years. Good morning, Alice. Good morning. Let's start with that question. Uh, What of the differences have you seen since you first began your career? uh, And maybe you can tell us when to to now. Well, I I think that we've probably seen um, an increase in in mental health. situations that have arisen with our youth. Um, Perhaps that's because of reduced stigma. Um, Our society is also changing. Social media landscape uh, for our youth is also um, a factor, I think. Um, Schools are more diverse than ever, um, much like our families are and our society is. Um, You know, all of these things together just create more need. So with that need, how have you been given or perhaps what have you been given the right supports to help these kids? Because we know in some schools there might be, you know, one counselor for 800 kids. There might be a good percentage of those that need your help. Are, are you getting what you need to do your job? Well, I, I think I'm fortunate in Seven Oaks and I'm fortunate in my school that, that um, the position is and the role is valued. And, um, you know, I, we have a, there's three people who work here. Our, our um, student body is about, about 800 plus. 
And uh, we, um, we work very strongly as a team, and not just as a counselling team, but also, uh, you know, we team with administration, we team with our resource teachers, with our teachers. We, we've worked hard, I think, as a whole staff to create a culture where we're all supporting each other. And, um, you know, and as much as that has its um, imperfections, it's, it's also something that I think helps, helps us do our job and helps us to, um, to keep on top of things. So, Alice, we, we were speaking earlier about this idea that in the past it felt like a counselor's job was to help set you up for your future. Does mm-hmm. it feel as though you're, you're helping kids deal with their past as much as anything these days? I would agree. Um, I think that we've got we've you know we're, we're we've got many hats, right? And every we're, we're sort of responsible for every student in the building, whatever their needs might be. But I, I would say that you know students are worried about the future. They um, they they think about what they want to do. Many of them and uh, they want support in that area. But yes, we're dealing with um, with a lot of other issues as well: um, families, um, mental health. Uh, you know, conflicts, um, a lot of things that students are bringing, you know, from their personal lives and from their pasts that, um, that are keeping them from perhaps being as successful or as happy as they, they could be. Do you get time with every student? Um, I hope, my hope is that um, when I see our graduates crossing the stage, that I know every single one of them, um, maybe not precisely but na- by name, but that I, I see their faces and we've gone to classes and we've done some of the education that we've, we've sort of covered them all. It's always my worry that, that we've missed someone or that someone has fall, fallen through the cracks. But, um, you know, that's our goal. And of course, different things arise at different times. And we have to get very good at prioritizing and balancing things and working together. I mean, to make sure that not one of us is working in isolation. Again, the value of of teaming and consulting with each other about very difficult situations. Um, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, I think it does. Alice, we've had this discussion amongst ourselves, this idea that perhaps if there were enough resources in an ideal world where everyone would have an appointment and it would be just sort of like part of the curriculum where at some point everyone would get that opportunity to sit down with the counselor and it might eliminate, uh, we use the word stigma so often, but just that whole idea of, oh, where did Brett go? I think he went to go talk to the counselor. It would be something that everybody was doing anyway, and it might even open the opportunity to help even more kids with, with stuff that they're dealing with. Well, you know, every, every student, um, you know, has their own sensitivities, but I think that what we try to do here is promote that there's many, many things we do. And especially when we go into classrooms and do workshops, I think that perhaps it takes a little bit of the stigma away from, um, you know, seeing the counselor and, oh, this might be a private matter. And it might be, but it might also be about any number of other things. All right. Alice McGregor, counselor at West Kildonan Collegiate, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Alice, thank you for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hi, Loren. Hi. <laughs> she just snuck in about two minutes after Jeff we Braun came back. Jeff Braun just comes out and he's like, you know you're on the air right now. And I was like, I know. We're just wrapping up this meeting. I just want to hear where it goes. <laughs> Can you too curious to walk away? Eh? Yeah. No, there's lots of conversations out there. We've had like any one of the topics we've covered today. Inevitably, you'll find somebody in our newsroom who has a massive opinion about them. Right. So. We started the day talking about impeachment and that fired up one of our co-workers and then what might happen to Donald Trump. And as you put it, Greg, whether this is an entire 
Nothing burger. Nothing burger. Or something hot dog. I'm going with something hot dog or nothing burger. And that, that then had me thinking about, you know, even if you don't care, say you don't care about politics at all, and you're not watching, you don't care about the, the blackface, brownface controversy with Justin Trudeau, or you don't care about Donald Trump and whether or not he did or did not to have sort of conversations with Ukraine about helping him out with the election. The, there are a lot of people who like to watch a big man fall. That's true. There's no question. We like a comeback story. We love a comeback story. But to but have a comeback story, you got to fall flat on your face. And, and there seems to be something in our psyche sometimes about liking it when someone falls flat on their face. Whether it could be because you don't like them or it could just be because you have that feeling, well, they're rich, so good. They're bankrupt now. Or we like They don't drama. have their job anymore. Let's be honest. There's a part of the, the, the human nature that allows you to go down that road where you're like, yeah, good. Yeah, I'm glad that happened. And, and then someone asks you why, and you're like, I don't know. I just didn't like their face. Well, that whole... <laughs> <laughs> right? Am I, am I sounding evil when I say that? I you think are, <laughs> but you're not alone in it. And, you know, it's that whole, that whole conversation about winning and losing always fascinates me because I've asked athletes in the past... Like, does the thrill of victory outweigh the agony of defeat? And typically, and I would say it's a gigantic proportion, say that losing hurts more than winning feels good. Mm-hmm. In terms of that emotional scale. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's why gamblers get addicted to gambling. I think they get addicted to the losing as much as chasing the winning. Well, you can't know one without the other. You don't you can't Correct. know how good it feels to win until you know how good it feels or bad it feels to lose. Right. And so I think we see that and feel that from the outside as well. Like I, I don't know. I've stopped watching Survivor. Uh, probably 30 seasons ago. But Brett, don't you watch that show in a lot of cases to to see the people that you don't like on that show go down versus see the one or two people last standing to compete for the victory? Absolutely. I mean, there's always heroes and there's always villains. If they set it up properly, they need to establish the various characters as the good guys and the bad guys. And that is inevitably what makes you continue to watch because when you get to tribal council, you want the bad guys to go away. And then when they don't go away, you are sitting there with your fists clenched and you're like, damn it! Now I, oh, they better, they better go down next week. So it hooks you in. Or weirdly, you sometimes find out yourself in a place where you want the bad guy to win. Sometimes, yeah. If you think about, we were talking about Breaking Bad this morning and how it's coming out with sure. its film and the trailer was released this week and Jesse Pinkman is like a, a criminal, a full-on criminal. He did a lot of bad things. But he had this part of him that you liked. And so the reason why people are really excited is I think they want to see that everything turned all right for him. Well, yeah. Despite all his terrible, terrible, terrible things he did. But that story ended so badly for him, at least in terms of the last, his last few months or years where he was in captivity and then he finally escaped and you want to see his redemption story. But uh, by the way. Question of the day at cjob.com, brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first, you'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. With the release of the latest trailer for the Breaking Bad movie, El Camino, we're wondering, do you think (laughs) the El Camino is a cool car? Hey, the questions don't always have to be serious, okay? Uh, So, so far... Yes. 0% 0% say, used to hate it, now I want one. Okay. 33% say, yes, now and forever. I love that. 67% say, no. Gross. <laughs> okay. So uh, my interpretation of the El Camino when I was a kid 
seem to have been bang on, but the fact that I like it now, not as really as popular a notion. If you really want to know what happened to Jesse Pinkman, just watch Bojack Horseman on Netflix. Aaron Paul plays a, a character that seems to continue to give you the idea of what might have happened to Jesse Pink, Pinkman oh my God. if Breaking Bad had continued. And uh, it's it's a very sad existence. Very smart. He's a, he's a sympathetic character, but uh, go Bojack Horseman if you like Aaron Paul and, and you like more of that, uh, having that internal conflict about do I love him or do I hate him? But on the subject too, Loren, of cheering for the villain or rooting for the bad guy, I think uh, we, whether you're watching a show or if it's something in real life, maybe it's an athlete, it ends up coming down to uh, respect. And if you don't like a character or a person, but you respect what they do, like I think any any sports fan probably has that guy who comes into their barn from another team and you're like, oh God, I hate that guy. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you can't help but respect him. Like, I hated Michael Jordan when I was a basketball fan in the 1990s because he always single-handedly decimated everyone I was cheering for. But you can't help but respect him. And ultimately, you kind of end up with this weird satisfaction that, oh, he did it again. Good for him. Well, nothing unites people like a common enemy, which is the basic theme for wars going back centuries, right? You can unite a nation by finding someone else that you get to pick on and or fight and or cause a conflict with, right? And so that's why, whether it's sports or politics or Marvel comics, you're, you're into it because you're vested on the idea of, oh, we're all cheering against or for the same thing. There's always that guy in sport who you can't stand him on the other team, but you would love it if your team would sign him. Like uh, James Neal was that guy. And my buddy Rob and I, we called him, oh, that guy. He's always doing it to the Jets. That guy, James Neal. And, you know, there was a time where I would have loved the Jets to have signed him. That window was open and closed. But he... I. Cannot stand the way he plays. I do. I've seen him in action in the dressing room, so I don't really care for the guy. But I, I think he'd be, you know, would have been at one point in time a nice addition on the on the Jets. Theo Fleury was sort of like that. There's always a player that you can't stand, but if he wore the jersey of the team you were cheering for, you'd love that guy. We had a conversation at 645, which has sprung to life on Facebook as well that we wanted to revisit. Greg, it was your sort of setup. You were kind of thinking about this. Recap it for us. Well, you know, I just, I I, I don't mind talking about something for a few days so that we can all uh, barf up our emotions and, and just kind of throw everything we're feeling against the wall with regard to this uh this blackface, brownface situation with Justin Trudeau. But at some point, we need to come up with a plan to move forward. And how do we do that in good conscience? Do we need a dumb stuff amnesty? Like a, a line in the sand where we just go, okay, maybe it's a formula, as we discussed at 645, based on the age you were when you did something, the uh, your education level, your wor- wor- worldliness is that a word? Mm-hmm. Uh, worldliness uh, equation or something that we could put into a computer and go, okay, as of anything that happened before 2002 for Brett McGarry is off the books. 
and yeah. is something that he cannot be held accountable for. Is that Anything. an arbitrary year or do I need to... No, no, I'm saying this is based on this formula. No, I know, I'm just joking. I now want to know more about 2002, that's all. <laughs> oh, yeah, I just pulled that out of the okay. air. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> and that, see, that's and that what I'm saying. Here and two is the point, <laughs> right? Just your reaction to that is the whole idea that we all have these things. We all have... Uh, conversations, posts in in social media, perhaps for those of us that are older, like me, most of my stupid stuff wasn't committed, done or achieved, depending on your point of view, when there were cell phone cameras, let alone social media. So I thank, I thank whoever I have to thank for that every single day that my childhood, that my teenage years, my early adult years are not part of the public record. Uh, but there are generations who have to deal with this. And I think Justin Trudeau is only three years younger than I am. So uh, take for that take that what you want. But I think we need an opportunity to wipe the slate clean of our digital demons, uh, societal missteps, or our non-criminal adventures, some sort of statute of limitations. Let's face it. You can go bankrupt. You can ring up all your credit cards, default on a mortgage, skip town, hand the keys back on your car, and seven years later, you can start applying for credit again. So what is it when it it comes to some of these other things? So we put the question on Facebook, should we have a statute of limitations on being called out for stupid things we've done in days gone by? Lots of comments here. Joy, for example, says, I think we've all done our share of shady things in the past. Some of them small, some of them pretty significant. That being said, I don't think a single one of us should have our past wrongdoings held over our heads or used to put us down. If Trudeau hasn't been a good prime minister, it's because of the choices and decisions he makes while he's PM, not because of the things he did in the past, nor because of who his father is. This way of thinking is everything that is wrong with society today. Hmm. Yeah, but there's an equal amount of people who say, no, no, no. When the guy wants to, who wants to be our prime minister, no, not when he was born to Pierre Elliott Trudeau, the architect behind the Just Society and official multiculturalism. No, not when he was born in the height of Trudeau mania on Christmas Day, 1971. So that, that's a specific thing to what we're talking about with Trudeau. On the bigger front, I think it comes down to, and that was a Facebook comment there, I think it comes down to the phrase, people who live in glass houses shouldn't cast stones. So if you've been going around lambasting other people for behavior that you think is disgusting but have been behaved a different way, then that's a problem. If you haven't acknowledged in your judging others that, yes, you've been down that road before, but you've learned the errors of your ways, then you have a problem. If you're just judging somebody and not acting the same way you expect others to act in your private life, then you have a problem. But I think that's the threshold. That's the problem. And the pushback Justin Trudeau is getting from a lot of people in his attempt To apologize for this. It's like, yeah, okay, but it wasn't a couple of weeks before this story broke that you were chastising the Conservative Party of Canada and Andrew Scheer's uh, statements that, well, if someone who's running in our party apologizes for a transgression in the past, if it's heartfelt and depending on what it is, there were still some parameters. We're going to accept that individual's apology. We're going to move on. And that wasn't good enough for Justin Trudeau and a lot of people in the Liberal Party. That I mean, you brought a lot of this upon yourself based on that take. Brenda on Facebook says, yes, we need rules for everything nowadays since no one has common sense. It has gone out the window, so to speak. 
I must add, we have all done stuff back in our youth. Sometimes I shake my head wondering, OMG, how did I survive? Mm -hmm. We have to stop dragging up the past. It doesn't always define us later as an adult. And I think that's another crucial thing as well. If you can look back at the mistakes that you've made or past attitudes that you've held, but grow and evolve as a person and then look back and say, what I did when I was 20 years old or the way that I thought about this was... Okay, I guess then, but it's not okay now. Right. And maybe it was never okay. It's just that's what I was led to believe was okay or I hadn't evolved yet as a person. And now I can look back at some of the things and that I did and things that I said and the way that I thought about the world and just thought, man, that's I'm, I'm sort of ashamed of that. But I'm uh, at the same time, I accept that. I was a younger person and I needed to grow and evolve. There isn't a person out there who doesn't have a thousand stories where they think probably shouldn't have done that, said that, been that, acted that way, you know, allowed that to happen or said nothing when it did happen. I think that's all of us. And I think that the age is important. And therefore, when we judge others, I would never want someone to look back on me as a 19 year old and and think that who I was then is who I who I am now. And it shouldn't be. I should never be the same person now as I was then. Oh yeah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't want to be, and nobody that even mildly cares about you or hates you should want you to be the same person at at thirty nine, twenty nine that you were at nineteen. Forty two. It's okay. I'm not okay, pretending 42. to be thirty nine. I know. I, I just don't. Anyway, <laughs> well, Don makes an interesting point. If I could just jump in here, yeah, Don says, "Food for thought." How many of those calling Trudeau to the carpet over blackface grew up telling Polish, Italian, Ukrainian, etc. jokes? Yet no one is saying anything about. Well, hang on, I'll just leave it there. But he the, the, makes a good point. I mean, I was, God, I've I told jokes like that too when I was younger because that's just what people did. I was just going to bring up the whole idea of eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Yep. Catch a tiger by the toe. Well, it was something completely different. In fact, I had, a, I had someone in my life who used to say it the way it used to be said, and I can remember my mom going, you can't say that. We left it in the past, and that person, I don't look back and go, oh, they were a terrible person. No, they they because grew up they at a certain time, and, they they, and hopefully they did, but it, there is that equation again that we do in our head. We go, oh, yeah, he was this old in 1974 when he did this. I understand, and I'm going to let him off the hook because was it his fault? We're just going to go with we're going to move on from that. So you can weigh in anytime, 204-780-6868. If you have something to say, we invite you to join the conversation on Facebook. And you can also follow us on Twitter oh. at 680CJOB. You know you what? This is a good... Instagram at 680CJOB. I'm guessing a text message has just come in that has raised the ire of Greg Macklin. Trudeau paying you characters. Yes, that's the, you are really, really missing the point. If that's what you're getting out of this, is that Justin Trudeau wants us to talk about this. I think in a societal sense, this is a question we've all had for the last eight or nine days since we've been dealing with this, is this this whole idea of how long do we have to go to bed at night hoping that our high school yearbook picture doesn't come out. Justin Trudeau was 29 years old. He does not get a free pass on this. We're not looking to give anybody in particular a free pass. We want to know where is the line Where's the demarcation point for us to be able to, in good conscience, move on with our lives, despite of some of the mistakes that we've made? Please try and listen. Please try and, 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 and work with us on this. Ariel Gordon is here. She is 
hosting an event tomorrow called Roots and Branches. This is, well, I'll let her explain what it is, but she is the author of a book called Treed. We talked to you a few months ago about that. And today is a special day for you. What is today? Well, today is National Tree Day. Um, and so it's a day where we can all sort of um, more, maybe more than normal, even though Winnipeg is a, a city that's really proud of its trees. Um, I think it's a treed city in many ways. Um, it's a way maybe for people to think maybe a little bit more about what it means to live under the trees here, right? Our 8 million trees um, that we have in well, the city of Winnipeg. Yeah, like I just moved into a place in Osborne Village. I have a 16th floor balcony. Mm. Now, when I look immediately down, it's like a big concrete complex, right? It's a, I live in a couple of, there's a two high rise, three high rises back to back to back. So there's a lot of concrete immediately below me. But as I look out, mm. it's just like as far as you can see, just trees upon trees. And it's just beautiful and wonderful. And it's a nice reminder of the fact that Winnipeg is a pretty cool place. It is. And um, I have a friend who lives in one of those towers as well. And I've spent the summer swimming there. And she's on the 23rd floor. So every time we go swimming, I go and I and afterwards we go out in the balcony and I look out and I just love it. I, uh, it's And every time I go somewhere in a high, tall building somewhere in Winnipeg, I always try and take a picture and be like, okay, because the city disappears under the canopy, mm-hmm. you know? And we forget that, I think, right? Like we forget that. Or take it for granted. Or maybe? take it for granted. Yeah. And so. Um, my message is, is that the urban forest is great. It protects us from so many things. It softens the city. But at the same time, we have to make sure that we protect it. And we have to do, like, the mayor, the city of Winnipeg, Mayor uh, Bowman, just issued that one million tree challenge, which wants to see a million trees planted in Winnipeg, public and private, before 2035, when theoretically we'll hit one million people. And I think that's great. I see the the urban forest and uh, Lake Winnipeg and... Assiniboine and Red Rivers in the same context where there are times when we tout these natural resources and of course the tree canopy was is man-made to a certain extent because we planted all these trees but it's it's an it's a natural uh, amenity if you like yet we don't do everything in our power to protect these uh, precious uh, these precious life forms, and I, I, it really frustrates me how we, on one hand, can put Lake Winnipeg on the front of a tourist brochure and and tout the canopy as the uh, one of the largest anywhere in North America, and then when it comes time to prioritize the budget to make sure those trees don't die, we kind of shrug our sh- shoulders and go, "Eh, we can't really afford that." Well, and I know there's a lot of pressures on infrastructure. I mean, we're a big city. We've got lots of, like, buckling concrete and and things that need attention. Um, but if we think of the trees as green infrastructure, if we, if we make a point of prioritizing, if we tell our elected officials that this is what's important to us. Um, I was out last week with the Urban Forestry Department as they marked the last of the trees that were being diagnosed with Dutch elm disease. And it was, it was really something, right? Sad. Well, and I now, this time of year, it's become a seasonal thing. Sure. You know, in the spring, the leaves come out. In the fall, I drive around looking for all the orange blots. Mm-hmm. You know, just as I'm driving, I'm like, oh, like one, marked for two. execution. Yeah, yeah. one, death, two, death three. And so um, it's definitely, there's a pressure. There's a pressure on deciding how we want to live in cities, how we think we're going to continue to live in the city, especially as climate change comes and knocks on the door. And we get crazy hot summers and huge superstorms that come down and like, how do we, how does that work? And what's our role in, you know, when you move into a new place or 
you're part of a new development. And I'm thinking of myself. Well, we live south of the city, but it's a new development. Very few trees went up into it, right? They're just big open spaces with these houses kind of plopped on it. So the onus is a bit, a little bit on the owner. It's also on the developer in terms of how they might add trees to that space. But I can think in our own yard, we, we have one tree in the front and nothing in the back. And actually today, ironically, as we speak, my mother-in-law, I think maybe fed up. I don't want to put words in her mouth, but is on her way to our house with two... <laughs> shrubs and trees that she wants to put in the backyard because I've complained over the years, it's so hot back here. Mm. You know, it's hard to sit back here. Well, if we just put up a, well, and the one a couple thing- trees, so it's really on, it's, it's much, you can look at the city hall or your government and say, you're not doing anything. But I'm not I'm not helping out either. Well, Trees Winnipeg has this great relief program where they're helping people to plant trees. So they're giving people trees at low cost and then teaching them how to plant them. Now, and the only other thing that people should know, and I really noticed it this year with all the new trees that have gone in, a lot of them, if you notice this summer, looked kind of dead. You know, they never they they, they had dried up. Um, Thirsty. Well, most of our established trees they can they can access groundwater. They can they can cr- like sneak into to our sewage and our, our water systems and get water that way. But the new trees don't have that. So if you have a new tree on your boulevard or in your yard, especially when it gets so hot, you have to water it. They have mm. to be watered consistently for the first two years. And I think sometimes that's the piece that people forget. Um, about planting trees, right? Like it's not just put it in the ground, forget about it. That it, there has to be watering that happens, or they'll just die, and then you're looking at next year having to put in another one. Um, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say. So this walk that we're doing tomorrow for I was thin gonna, air. I bet you Brett was just going to take you there. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell he's leading in about. Tell us about that walk. Um, now, Candace Savage is this amazing writer. She wrote this book called The Geography of Blood that came out and won one of the biggest um, nonfiction prizes in Canada. And I have to admit, I have a little bit of a lit crush on her. I think she's actually coming up with Jeff today. I know. And it's going to be... At uh, 11 o'clock today yeah. uh, with Jeff Courier. Yeah, she's oh, great. Sorry, 10.30. Um, and so that book was about nature um, in Saskatchewan and, and natural areas, but then also the indigenous history of the region. And so she combines those things in a way that's really interesting. And she was one of the first... Um, settler writers to write about our indigenous history and our natural history together, you know, in a way that was really meaningful and also had personal elements. And so I am so happy that I get to do this event with her in Old St. Boniface. And so her new her new book is about um, her house in Saskatoon and how she discovered um, she lived in a very waspy neighborhood and she discovered that the person that built her house, I think in the 1920s, um, was a French-Canadian man and how um, there was discrimination against him because even just for being French in an English neighborhood. And so we thought it would be great to take this walk to the Maison Gabriel Roy um, and redo a little reading there, answer some questions, and then walk around the neighborhood and look at the trees and look at the old houses, right? Look at Look at that neighborhood and think about what it was like in the 20s, but also how it is now. Yeah, so those are the things that people cherish about our city. The trees, the the history, and uh, yeah, we have to pay attention to both. Good on you for combining the two. How can people uh, join you? Um, I believe it is a free event, um, and it starts at one thirty at the Maison Gabriel Roy, which is at three seventy five de Chambeau. And you can get more information at thinairwinnipeg.ca. The event is called Roots and Branches. Ariel Gordon co-hosting this event with Candace Savage, who once again will be joining Jeff Courier just after Global News at 10.30. Ariel, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure. I love talking about trees anytime. Happy National Tree Day to you. A big shout out to the tree we called Mary.
back in Minnedosa on the farm. Would say hi to Mary every single day. She really? Was really tall. We loved her. What kind? Do you know? That's sad. I don't. Tall. 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 I was a guessing tall tree with um, lots of beautiful leaves. Kind of gray bark. Mm, listen, this sounds great. <laughs> it's a co- I'm going to guess it's a cottonwood. Sure. Cottonwood. I love me a cottonwood tree. <laughs> but I, we did. We had a name for her. She we played on. She was giant. We loved her. And then she slowly. Anyway, she's is she gone? She's gone. She be gone. Oh. The old gray mare just ain't what she used to be. The old cotton. Well, I got to call my dad as soon as we get off air. That's sad that I don't know that. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.